Well, it's a beautiful Christmas morning, and can I say from up here, you all look beautiful. Merry Christmas. It is so good to be here on Christmas morning. It is not every year that Christmas lands on a Sunday, but when it does, can I say that I think it's wonderful. It's wonderful to worship here at church on any Sunday, to do so on the day in which we celebrate the birth of Jesus, it's just extra special. And so it is a joy to be here to worship with you. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor here at Efree Church in Diamond Bar. For those visiting, maybe from out of town, a special welcome to you from our church. And this morning, I want to share with you a special Christmas Day message. And this message will also bring our current series to a close. And this will bring our year to a close as well. And we're going to see God's purpose and how it was fulfilled through some unlikely people. And along the way, we'll look at some other surprising facts that surrounded the birth of Jesus. And the title of this morning's message is Surprising Facts About the Savior's Birth. Surprising Facts About the Savior's birth. I've got a question for you. This is for any age. All you out there, no matter how young or old you are, how many here opened your Christmas gifts already this morning? Can I see your hands? Wonderful. Good. Now, I would like to invite a few of you up here to stand next to me and share with the rest of those here a gift. Maybe you opened it last night. Maybe you opened it this morning. Maybe you're not going to open it till tonight, but you already know what it's going to be. <laughs> Would anybody here, okay, no matter what stage in life you are, young or old, would you come up here and encourage the rest of us by sharing a gift that you received or you're going to receive and maybe it's a gift you've wanted for a long time. Maybe it was a surprising gift. It came unexpected. I would love to hear a few of you. Who would be bold enough to come up here? Can I see somebody? Okay, come on up here. And when you come up here, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself and share with us briefly a gift that you received. Hello. Good morning, everybody. My name is Dakota. Um, so I actually currently live in Oregon. Um, we came down here prior to Christmas for um, a concert because I love violin. So my mom, one of my Christmas gifts was going to a violinist concert. But also living in Oregon, we have a lot of railway near our house. And for some reason, every time I hear the uh, engine honk its horn when it's crossing that portion of where the road goes over it so it doesn't hit any cars or whatever their reasonings are. I'm always like, oh, Mom, I would love to, I want to ride a train for some reason. So um, as a Christmas gift, my mom <clears throat> has a friend who works at the Grand Canyon on their railway. So they got us a, um, they gave me and my mother um, tickets as a Christmas gift for my mom to give me the Christmas gift um, to ride the railway and because she my mom's friend works on the railway 
uh, before you come into the station to get on and off the train, you have to honk like the engine's like super loud horn. And she was able to talk to the conductor or whoever runs that and was like, hey, can Dakota do that? Like she loves trains and we're here on a visit, so can she do that? So I have like a little video of me being like a little cool girl in the back, like honk and pulling on the, the big old horn. So it was just, Amazing, and then my mom also brought me down here because I love violin. Like if I had the talent, the ability to learn how to play one, I would want to. So I can't remember the violinist's name, but she's a pretty big name in the violin world. So my mom brought me down here as a Christmas present to um, listen to the violinist. So I got a train and a violin for for, for Christmas. Wow! Thank you, Dakota. That was really encouraging. Anybody else? Who would like to come up and share with us a gift that you opened that just made you excited, happy, thrilled? Anybody else? Yes, Evelyn. Come on up here. Evelyn, please introduce yourself. My name is Evelyn Gonzalez, and I opened this gift a few weeks ago. So in because I'm Mexican, Mexican bread is called pan dulce. And I had been wanting some slippers that look like pan dulce, pan dulce. They're called conchas. And Nick refused my husband to get them for me. He's like, we're not going to have you walking around the house with them. So our life group, we had our Christmas party a few weeks ago. And one of my dearest friends came and she had a gift for me. And she said, can you open this gift? And she kept on asking me, do you have any idea what this is? And I'm like, no, I have no idea. And inside, I have these pink conchas, the pan dulce slippers. <laughs> Thanks to Maria. Thank you, Evelyn. Wow, those are some special gifts. You know, the great thing about Christmas gifts is sometimes we'll open something and we're just completely surprised. And we are pleasantly surprised. And, and we're so thankful for the thoughtfulness of those around us. And, you know, when we think about gifts, and we think about, uh, of course, the most important gift, uh, the most important gift came to us in a very surprising way. And we'll talk about that. Now, I imagine that most of us, if not all of us, we've attended our share of white elephant gift exchanges. And those are always fun because you never really know uh, what you're going to go home with, right? And uh, sometimes you'll go home with a great gift, and sometimes you'll go home with a gift that, well, will be next year's gift exchange gift. And did you know the term white elephant? It's an interesting term, and not everybody knows, you know, how we got that term, white elephant gift exchange. Well, the term white elephant, it originated because the term white elephant, it it became known as this extravagant, impractical gift that you could not easily dispose of. And the term is said to have uh, come from the practice of the king of Siam. Siam is now known as Thailand. And what would happen was the king of Siam would gift members of his court with rare albino elephants white elephants, and he would gift members of his court with these what appeared to be extravagant gifts, but he would bless the members of his court that he didn't like with these white elephants because 
on the surface, it seems like a gift of honor. But in reality, if you received an elephant, your life was miserable. Because elephants cost a lot of money to take care of. They eat a lot of food. And so the recipient would have to spend so much money trying to feed the elephant. And then the elephants, they love to roam all over the place, so they needed a lot of land. And I can't imagine cleaning up after an elephant. And so these days, white elephant gift exchanges, uh, they're, they're fun. Again, because we just never know what we're going to open up. Well, thankfully, in Jesus Christ, we have the perfect gift. And so today, on this very special Christmas Sunday, we've gathered to celebrate the birth of the Savior of the world. And I want to share with you three surprising facts about the Savior's birth. Three surprising facts, at least from our human standpoint. And the first surprising fact is the who. The who of the Savior's birth. Can we say it all together? The who. One more time. The who of the Savior's birth. One of the biggest surprises of Jesus' birth was the choice of his parents, Mary and Joseph. Now just think about this. God chose two of the most unlikely parents to raise the Savior of the world. If you were part of the search committee and your job was to find the perfect parents to raise Jesus, you would get together with other members of your committee, and I'm sure you'd put together a prerequisite list. And on that list, I imagine you'd include things like, well, they must come from a stable home. They must have a good education. They must have a good steady income. They must have a great family background. And what you do is this. You would go and check their social media pages and make sure they don't have any suspicious or strange activities. In other words, you would do everything in your power to make sure you found the perfect parents to raise Jesus. Now, looking purely at the resumes of Mary and Joseph, for most of us, they would not have even made the second round of interviews. They were so unlikely. From a human standpoint, they didn't make sense. Mary and Joseph did not make sense to become the parents of the Savior of the world. Of all the people God could have chosen, he chose an unwed teenager engaged to a man with no upward mobility. Remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable that God chose Mary and Joseph to raise the Savior of the world. It was such a surprise that the Magi, when they arrived to celebrate the birth of Jesus, they didn't recognize the wrapping paper. They were looking for the bright, colorful, shiny, expensive wrapping paper with the biggest bow in town. They couldn't find him. And so they asked, and really nobody else knew 
where he was. And by the way, can I mention that there are some misconceptions about the Magi. Contrary to popular belief, the Magi, they didn't actually arrive on the night of Jesus' birth. Now, I know that we love to see manger scenes, and we love the picture of Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus and the three wise men and their camels. Oh, yeah, there you go. And that's an artistic representation. But the reality was the wise men, they didn't arrive until many, many, many days later, months later even possibly a couple years after the birth of Jesus. And when they arrived, they were looking in all the wrong places. Now, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so the Magi went all around town looking for Jesus. They went all around the nice parts of town. They figured, well, he's a king. So they looked in the palace. They looked in the mansions. They didn't know where he was. The birth of Jesus is really the irony of all ironies. His parents were ordinary people. In fact, some might say they were less than ordinary people. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came to us in the most unassuming box with the most unassuming parents. God surprised us. Now, I'm going to talk about another group of uh, surprising people a little bit later on in my message. For now, I'd like to look at the second surprising fact about the Savior's birth. And that is the when of the Savior's birth. Okay, all together, the when. One more time, the when of the Savior's birth. Timing is everything. We hear that phrase quite often. When you're buying or selling stocks, timing is everything. When you're buying or selling your home, timing is everything. When you participate in music, timing is everything. So what about the timing of Jesus' birth? In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Here's a question for you to ponder. Just think about this. Why did God choose the time of Caesar Augustus? Just think about that question. Why? Why did God choose the time of Caesar Augustus? On the surface... Many people would say there were, there were far better times in history for the Savior to be born. Some might wonder, well, why didn't God speak to the Jewish people for 400 years? Did you know that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 
There was silence for 400 years. And some might wonder, why didn't God send his son in that period? Wouldn't it have been better had Jesus been born right after the reign of King David? Some wonder that. Some might argue, well, why not right now in 2022? This would be the perfect time. If Jesus was born today, guess what? We could get the news out just like that with all of our instant feeds. Today would be the perfect day for Jesus to be born. That's what many people think today in our society. And yet God chose first century Palestine. You know why? Because God is in complete control of history. And he sees things that you and I cannot see. God's timing is always perfect. In every area of our lives, God's timing is always perfect. Even if, even if we think, God, you're a little slow. God's timing is always perfect. God knew the exact moment that would bring about the greatest impact to introduce the Savior of the world. And that was first century Palestine. And now the question is, well, again, why first century Palestine of all the times in the history of the world? Well, for one, did you know that 300 years prior to the birth of Christ, Alexander the Great conquered the world and he established the Greek language as the universal language. And so when Jesus came into the world, it was one of the rare times in history where there was the ability to communicate worldwide. There was a universal language. And then also, the Roman Empire came into prominence. And then infrastructure developed. Roads were built. And so all this was done in preparation for the birth of the Savior of the world. And also, and this is probably the most important part, After 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament, mankind found out that it could not make it without God. So there was great expectancy for the Messiah. God's timing is always perfect. Many of you are going through a difficult time right now, and you ask yourself, How much longer, how much longer, God, must I endure what I'm going through? Can I say that God's timing is always perfect? Even if you think, I cannot do this another day. We wait for things to get better and better, and oftentimes hindsight is 20-20, and what happens is this. We look back on the events of our lives and we say, God, your timing was right on. I thought I knew, but I didn't know. And we marvel at the goodness of God. So the second surprising fact about the Savior's birth was the when. Here's a third surprising fact, and that is the where of the Savior's birth. Can we say it together? The One more time. The the where of the Savior's birth. 
If you were here last night, and I see many people who were here last night, I told you to come back today because I would talk more about the birthplace of Jesus. Jesus was born in the little town of where? That's right. Of all the places God could have chosen, he could have chosen Jerusalem. He could have chosen Rome, New York, Hong Kong, London, Diamond Bar. Of all the places God could have chosen, he chose a little town called Bethlehem. The Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2 says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Did you know that Bethlehem was so tiny, it was so insignificant, that when Joshua in the Old Testament, when he allotted the towns to the various tribes after conquering Canaan, Bethlehem was not even mentioned. If you opened up Google Maps right now, at that time, there would be no Bethlehem. It was so tiny and insignificant. And yet God, in his sovereignty, chose Bethlehem. And yet, did you know that a week before Mary gave birth, Mary was still in Nazareth, not Bethlehem. From Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 80 to 90 miles. And in an era where there were no cars, people had to travel on foot or by donkey over treacherous, mountainous terrain. It was difficult for anybody to travel four days from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Try doing that when you're nine months pregnant. And that was Mary. It was a difficult journey. But by God's grace, they got there, and when they arrived, here's what happened. Luke tells us in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I know that traditionally we read about there was no room in the inn. The I-N-N. And many translations today call it the inn. And today we usually associate inn with a hotel. Right? The holiday inn. The comfort in. But the more accurate translation is a guest room in a home. You see, back then in Bethlehem, houses were built in these caves along hillsides. And their homes had various levels, terraces, they called them. So when you walked into a home in Bethlehem, you had like a tri-level home. The top level was where all the guests stayed. It was a guest suite, you would say. And then the main floor was where the family lived. That's where the kitchen was and everything else, I guess. So that's the main living area. And then the 
lowest level, which was only about four feet lower than the middle level, that's where the family would bring in the animals every night. And so back then in Bethlehem, the animals stayed with the family inside their homes. Now today, our dogs and cats, they stay with us inside our homes, okay? And that's great. Well, back then, donkeys and sheep stayed with the families inside their homes. That was normal for them. And so all the animals slept together in the bottom floor of the home in Bethlehem. Guess where Joseph and Mary stayed? The bottom level there. Why? Because by the time they traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, other relatives were occupying the guest room upstairs. So there was no more room. And so the relatives said, you're welcome to stay with the donkeys and the sheep. That was a setting for the humble birth of the Savior of the world. He wasn't born in a palace amongst royalty. He was born among peasants, which is why it was only fitting that another surprise took place. We talked earlier about the who, right? The who of the Savior's birth. Mary and Joseph were like the unlikeliest parents to raise the Savior of the world. There was another surprising group associated with the birth of Christ. In Luke 2, starting in verse 8, it says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord of all the people. To be the first ones to receive this important news, God chose shepherds. Let's think about this. God did not choose royalty. He did not choose government officials. He didn't even choose pastors. He didn't choose the religious leaders. Of all the people, the first to receive the good news were shepherds. Did you know the shepherds occupied the lowest rung on the social ladder? They had the worst reputation. In fact, religious leaders, they looked down upon shepherds because the shepherds were always doing their work on the Sabbath. And so the announcement of the Savior of the world came to shepherds. No wonder they were afraid. We read that they were terrified. My guess is they were probably thinking, because they had such a bad reputation, they're thinking, oh no, what did we do wrong again this time? They were the most unlikely people to receive the most important news. They were the first group. And the question is why? Why shepherds? The message is clear. The angel said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for, get this, all the people. That included the rich and the poor. That included the religious and non-religious that included people of every nation. No matter your background, 
no matter your upbringing, no matter your social status, the good news is for all the people, not for the privileged few. Think about this. If God went to the palace and told the royalty, just think of the implications. But God chose shepherds to make this announcement. By the way, you know what's remarkable? Jesus was known as the good shepherd. Jesus was also known as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was only fitting that the news came first to shepherds whose job it was to tend to sheep. And these shepherds, after getting over the initial shock, they heard the multitude of angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace and rest. Two words we hope we will experience after today is over. And for those hosting Christmas meals today, peace and rest is what you want after all the dishes are done. After everything is put back in place. The prophet Isaiah prophesied that the, prophesied that the Messiah would be the Prince of Peace. And in the New Testament, the word peace is synonymous with rest. In the Gospels, here's what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. We've all experienced what it means to be weary and burdened, whether by sin and guilt or simply because we're so busy during this Christmas season. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Here's what Jesus is saying. So, everybody here this morning and everybody watching online, here's what Jesus means when he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He is imploring us to stop trying to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. Just stop. That's his job. Let Jesus do all the heavy lifting. And we do that by putting the yoke around us. And when we put the yoke around us, it keeps us next to Jesus' side. And we learn from him and we grow through him. Don't raise your hand, but I've got a couple questions for you. Again, don't raise your hand. Are you burdened by family matters? Is there tension in your family? Is there anxiety? Are you burdened by work, school? Are you burdened by health issues? Are you burdened by the uncertainty of the future? Are you burdened because you made a bad decision and you can't sleep at night? 
on this Christmas morning, I want us to be reminded that Jesus has come, put my yoke upon you, and find rest in me. I'm going to close our time this morning by asking you two questions that I want you to ask. And this is becoming somewhat of a tradition. I've asked these two questions the last couple of Christmases. And I think it's a good way for us to end every year as we look ahead to the new year. And so when we think about the new year, we always think of resolutions, right? And we always think, I'm going to eat better and then exercise more, right? We tell ourselves every year, I'm going to eat better, exercise more. And those are great things. I'm all for that. But I think there are two questions that God wants us to ask. And I'll leave you with these two questions. The first question, I want you to ask somebody else. Okay? So this question, you're going to ask somebody else. Maybe later today, maybe this week. The second question, we'll get to in a minute. But the first question is this. What hurts? Can you ask somebody this week, what hurts? In other words, what burdens you? What overwhelms you? What is causing you pain? What hurts? Later on in your Christmas gatherings, you might ask somebody there, what hurts? What are you burdened by? The second question I want you to ask yourself. And the second question is this, how can I help? Now, I know that traditionally we ask that question to other people. How can I help? Is there anything I can do? And typically, here's the response we get back from the other person. It's okay. Don't worry about it. So that is why I think the better person to ask that question to is not to the other person, but to yourself. So, here's what happens. When you ask somebody, what hurts? And then, instead of saying, is there anything I can do? What you do is this. You walk away and you ask yourself, how can I help that person? Because when you ask yourself that question, you don't have to wait for that other person to respond. You just initiate. You don't give that person a choice. You just tell yourself, I'm going to drop off a meal. I'm going to send a gift card. I'm going to send some flowers. I'm just going to do. I'm going to walk their dog. I'm going to wash their car. I'm going to show up in the middle of the night, just wash their car and go home. So this week, ask a question to somebody else. What hurts? And then walk away and ask yourself, how can I help? And then act on that question. What hurts? How can I help? God knew that you and I were hurting. God didn't wait for us to get better. He didn't even wait for us to answer. He just took the initiative and he sent his son. 
and his son was delivered on time, not a moment too late. He's a perfect gift this Christmas. So God bless you on this most beautiful Christmas day. May you experience the joy of the birth of our Savior. Let's pray together. Father, on this Christmas morning, there's a lot of hurt, which is why it's good for us to ask a loved one, a friend, a co-worker, a fellow student, what hurts? And help us to listen with open hearts. And then as we walk away from that conversation, we just ask ourselves, how can I help? And then we act on that question. Help us to do just that this week and be reminded that today we celebrate the day that you, you ask the question, what hurts? And then you just acted upon what you knew we needed. You didn't wait for us. You just acted. And you sent your one and only son to be the savior of the world. And for that, we give you thanks. We love you. We love Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.